I don't know if your uh, playground at school was like mine growing up. Not only was it, you know, filled with death-defying contraptions to climb on and things, but uh, also there were always kind of that kid who was the bully. And it seemed like no matter how far away you tried to get away from them, they always followed, right? Okay, maybe that was just me. Anyway, so you know that whenever a kid gets taunted, they usually will come back with that phrase of, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me, right? You've probably maybe heard that before, I hope. And while that's a good wish, we all know that that is not true. It's not a reality. We know that words can hurt, and there's a good chance that in a room this size, uh, that any of us, any number of us, have experienced that kind of hurt before. And that's because words carry power, and it's not just any kind of power. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death. And it says, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And now while you've probably been the recipient of some of those words, those hurtful words before, I wonder how many of us have also been the ones who've given those words before. And today what we're going to talk about is our words and what it means for us as followers of Jesus. So good morning. I'm glad that you are here. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here at our South Haven campus of Getwell Church. Glad you've joined us for worship, whether you're here in the room or you're joining us online, uh, however, wherever. And if you're our guest today, we're glad you're here. I hope you come back again next week. I um, hope you receive something by being here today. We are in the third week of our series, our message series we've been in, uh, going through the book of James looking at some of the major themes that James has given us uh, in the book and his chief concern uh, about that we would have living faith. Now, James, he's the half-brother of uh, Jesus. He sees that this salvation we've been given is not just salvation with a lowercase s, but a salvation with a capital S, because here's the thing is that every part of the gospel that we now have available to us gives us kind of an amplified and true meaning of what it is. And so this faith that we have is not just faith in something that's kind of, you know, barely able to touch, but it's something that really does play out in every part of our lives. And so what we've seen so far in this series, the first week we looked at how trials will happen in our life. And so James was concerned on how do we approach trials? How do we see them? How do we face them? And how we can face them with joy. And we can do that because here's the thing is that God is moving in and amongst each trial to make us more and more into the likeness of his son. He uses those trials, and so we can trust him. Last week, Pastor Jonathan talked about uh, how James uh, was so uh, urging us to make sure that our hearing and our doing are connected together, that our faith and our works are together, that they're not separate, but also that we see them in the right order, right? That it's our salvation, it's our faith, our salvation that is now being worked out in these good works that God has created for us. If you haven't had a chance to listen to these messages, or maybe you're wondering about what some previous messages have been, I'd love for you to go online. You can listen this week to youtube.com slash southhaven. You can find this, these messages and many more uh, there. would love for you to check that out. So Today, though, we're going to be in James chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible or a device you read from, we're going to be in James chapter 3. You can turn there with me. And just a reminder that before we read that James is writing to those who are already followers of Jesus. 
His goal is not to convince us to become followers of Jesus. His concern isn't even those who aren't followers of Jesus. But his concern is those who have already given their lives to Jesus because he's concerned how we live out the salvation that we have. And one of the ways that this transformed salvation, transformation, how this plays out in our lives, that shows itself is through a small but mighty part of our lives. And that's our tongue. So let's read, picking up in verse 1 of chapter 3 in James. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force to set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is all, also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, but with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come uh, praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, have you ever said something and immediately wished you could take it back? Or maybe you accidentally said something you didn't mean to, or maybe you accidentally said the thing that you did want to say, but you accidentally said it. I don't know. I, I don't know if you're like me. But either way, here's the thing is that our tongues can get us into a world of trouble, right? There's probably a chance that you have experienced this as well. And James, he's concerned about the way that we use our tongue and our speech as believers because he understands that it carries with it consequences every time we use it. Which is why it seems kind of odd, but his first warning to us is that uh, not many of us should become teachers. Now, this is a, a verse that I've wrestled with uh, quite a bit because that's what I do. Like, I, I teach. This is my vocation. This is what God has called me to. And so I've wrestled with this uh, verse, and it's because as teachers, we use our mouths for the majority of our work. And it's not that James is discouraging us from being teachers as much as he's discouraging this tendency for those who aren't qualified or aren't gifted to just kind of jump into the practice. It's because sometimes we want to use our, we, we like to hear ourselves talk, right? And we think that everyone should like to hear ourselves talk. But here's the thing is that James is really concerned because those who are in that position of a teacher, 
And why you shouldn't uh, enter it lightly is because oftentimes they're in a position of trust. Now, there's a good chance that the reason you're here today and sitting out in the audience is because you generally, and present company maybe withstanding because you didn't know I was preaching today, but generally you trust the teaching and preaching that you receive here and that's why you showed up, right? And so for each of us, we have to understand that, that it's so important that our words carry such power behind them that even those who teach should be especially careful. That's why Pastor Jonathan and I and so many others who stand on this uh, stage, we ask and seek God earnestly for the wisdom in which we would speak. That when we do, that, that it would be coming from his heart and not from our mind or our heart. It's why we put so much pressure on ourselves because there's such high accountability for what we do, for the words that come out of our mouths, especially in this time. We want to be diligent. We want to be faithful. And so we have to understand that for those who teach, especially in a church setting, especially the Word of God, that, that oftentimes it's literally life or death realities that we are speaking of. And that's why James is so concerned right off the bat. Hey, don't, don't just run into this thing called teaching if that's what you want to do. Weigh it. Don't enter it lightly. Make sure that it is what you're called to do. And so teachers should be careful because their tongues carry consequences with them. But then James moves on to address all of us. In verse 2, he says this. He says, we stumble in many ways. Check, right? Anyone who is never at fault is, in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. All right, let's see what he's talking about here. He goes on to give us several examples, vivid examples, a bit and a rudder. Now, a horse's bit is this small metal piece that goes into the mouth of a horse, and it sits on their tongue. And it's connected to the reins so that as the rider is on the horse, he's able to communicate and steer and control this horse. Friends, an average horse is about 1,200 pounds. That's a lot of horse that one man or woman, way smaller than that, is able to steer and guide the course of this horse. Likewise, the ship's rudder on this massive ship, you have this small flat piece of, of wood or metal that's attached to the stern, which is the back of the ship, and it helps control the, the direction of the ship, no matter how strong the winds are. It might be coming against it, that rudder is helping to keep the pace of that ship. And so the captain, he steers the boat with this small part on this much larger boat. So these two things, this, this horse's bit and this, this rudder, they're small. But even though they're small, they have great impact on what happens with both the horse and the ship, right? In the same way, this tongue that we have, even though it's a small object in our body, it can have enormous consequences on the whole. And that's why James goes on in the next uh, few verses, verses 5 and 6, to talk about the effect of being kind of like a spark in a forest fire. One small spark, one small word that's small yet destructive. And in verse 6 he warns, it corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And that tongue, it may be small, but it is mighty. Now, I want you to imagine with me the image of kind of a horse running out of control. Maybe a ship out of control as well. Maybe a fire out of control. What about someone's mouth out of control? 
What James wants to warn us about is this. He wants us to see that an out-of-control tongue is a weapon of destruction. An out-of-control tongue is a weapon of destruction. It's a destruction of ourselves. It's a destruction of our faith. And it's a destruction of others. Because our words carry consequences when we use them. Either for good or destruction. And if your tongue is out of control, if it's out of check, if it's out of sync with your faith, then it's going to continue to lead you down a path that's away from the life that God intended for you. The life that, that he intended for you to have with him and to have with others as well. Do you see? I feel like we've kind of all had this before, right? This is why James goes on to talk about that, that while we can tame animals, man has not been able to tame the tongue. And he says this about an untamed tongue. He said, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And then in the next verses, 9 and 10, he shows us what that looks like. He says, one moment we're praising God, and then the next minute we're cursing human beings. I want you to notice, he's been talking about brothers and sisters, fellow believers, kind of all throughout. But here he doesn't just say, hey, you're only hurting those who are within the body of Christ. He says, fellow human beings, anyone made in the image of Christ and of God, and that is all people. Now, we don't discriminate whenever our tongue starts to curse, right? And he says this, verse 10, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. And so to illustrate that, he goes on to talk about this fresh and the salt water flowing from the same stream and how that's just impossible. That doesn't happen. How a fig tree would produce olives doesn't happen. How a grapevine would, would bear figs, it's impossible, it's unnatural. Praising and cursing coming from our mouths as fellow believers? Mm -mm. It's not, not the way it should be. That this type of double-minded, double-tongued attitude that is incompatible with those who've been made new in Christ. Now, those who, are, who aren't believers, those who are of the world, sure, well, that's natural for them. But those who've been made new in Christ, absolutely not. So how do you use your tongue? Do you use it for blessing or do you use it for cursing? Now, maybe you're feeling a little uncomfortable right now. At least I know I am. Maybe you're not. But I am. And I think that though this is a good feeling for us because what this means is that the Holy Spirit's wanting to do a work. He's nudging us. He's urging us to move toward God in this. And one of the reasons why I think that we've allowed ourselves to have tongues that are out of control, um, and one, one reason is that we feel that we have let our, our tongues be out of control, Right? Um, we can kind of look and go, we just look at this past week, maybe sometime this morning on the way to church. But I think about the, the language that we use whenever we talk about our sports rivalries, right? Man, there's some hatred there. Think about the jealousy that arises whenever someone in our life, maybe a friend or a coworker, gets that promotion or that thing that we didn't get. Maybe we, we start to stir the pot and, and raise up some gossip. I don't, I don't know. There's so many different things that we do because our tongue is out of control. I want you to notice what James says back in uh, chapter 1, verse 26. He said this, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. 
What he's saying is, hey, we can do a whole lot of good behaving on the outside, but our tongues can still be loose. These lips still be doing the thing that they've always done. And what Jesus want, uh, what James wants us to do is to examine that it's not just our tongue that's the issue here, but also it's something deeper. You see, we don't want to just be religious, right? Religion can be worthless. What we want is we want living faith. And just as his discussion with faith and works, James is wanting us to see that our speech is an indicator of our transformed life in Jesus as well. He's essentially saying that your tongue can't be used in this way. It can't be used for poison or destruction or evil if your heart has been made new in Christ. Now, maybe you're unconvinced by what James is saying. You're like, that's just James, right? Um, that, that your heart and your speech are connected. So if you're unconvinced by that, maybe Jesus can help us out here. So let's look at what Jesus says about these very things. Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Matthew 15. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. And in both of these instances, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, those who were the religious of the religious of the day. Uh, they had, by all outward appearances, they were holy people, right? And anyone who saw them would have thought the same thing too, but Jesus said something's missing, something's wrong, and it's your heart. And so Jesus is clear here that, that the heart is the well from which you speak. That's the heart is the well from which you speak. So how is your heart? How is your heart? Years ago, I was at a family reunion. Uh, I love family reunions. Good food, fun, catching up with everyone. And uh, as usually as it would end up, the kids, we all go outside and we play while the grown-ups stay inside and, and catch up. And I always loved going to this one community center that we would uh, go to for, for our family reunion. And they had this storm shelter that kind of was like a cave in the side of this thing. But we loved it, sport. it. You never knew what you were going to find in there. Uh, they had trails, they had tennis, you name it, all this kind of stuff. But there was one thing in particular that I got really fixated with one time. And it was in the middle of this field, there was kind of one of those lever-type pumps. Uh, out there. And I don't know if it was just for show or what, um, but I sat and I pumped 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 and I pumped. And what felt like an hour later, finally something started coming up and I was so excited, y'all. And it was the nastiest looking water I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm going to say it's water, not real sure what it was connected to, but it was dirty and it was nasty, but something started coming up out of there and it, and it was something, right? It makes me wonder that when we're pumped and 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 we're pumped, what kind of stuff begins to flow from our mouths from the spring right here? If it's unclean, if it's unwholesome, if it's unforgiving, if it's unloving, if it's unusable, then maybe it's an indication that, that we have a heart issue. And so to prove this point more, James continues to share his heart and his concern for us by writing this in verses 13 through 16, back in James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy 
and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Now, James isn't saying that none of us are wise. He just wants us to kind of ask that question, where am I getting my wisdom from? Because if, if we're only been following the wisdom of the world and not following God and seeking his wisdom and, and his way for our life and the way that we live, then we're never going to experience the life that he's offering us right now. The bottom line is this, is that we should let our living faith be demonstrated by living with godly wisdom. We need this wisdom. We need a wisdom that's characterized by humility, grace, and peace. You don't find that kind of wisdom in the world. So, if you use your words to hurl insults, tell lies, gossip, slander, mock, criticize, belittle, condemn, humiliate, falsely accuse and blame, manipulate, ridicule, threaten, undermine, bully, discriminate, patronize, betray, or sow division, chances are that you're following the wisdom of the world. And there's a heart issue that's going on. See, your words matter because they reflect what your heart loves. I've debated saying this, but I feel like it needs to be said. Is that if your speech isn't coming from a place of a transformed heart, and Jesus, if it isn't filled with the wisdom that comes from above, if it isn't flowing with humility and grace and peace, then chances are that your heart doesn't fully love Jesus. If you love peace, you'll work for peace. You'll speak peace into the lives of other people. If you're humble, then you're not going to have speech that puffs you up in pride and ego, but instead you're going to consider others before yourself. And if you understand grace, the grace of God, then you'll go out of your way to, to speak grace into the lives and the situation of those around you. All of these things flow from a relationship with Jesus. But if your heart hasn't been transformed, if your heart hasn't encountered the true gospel of Jesus Christ, then it's always going to continue to reflect the ways and the wisdom of this world. Now, I want to let you know, friends, while that's weighty, absolutely, there is hope. And that's the word we need this morning, right? Hope. I want you to recall what James said again in verse 2. He said, we all stumble in many ways. James included himself there. We all stumble in many ways. All of us stumble. None of us is able to keep our whole body in check because of this little thing called our tongue, but also a much deeper problem of our heart. So there are two things that I think this text and this reality make us realize, and it's this. The first is this. Your tongue shows you your need for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. None of us are exempt from this. Every single one of us in this room and everyone who's listening online, there's this depth of sin in our lives. There's this, this pollution that has taken place of our hearts 
that needs to be met by, by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And no matter how much we try on our own, no matter how often we try to tame our tongue, y'all, we can try to refine our speech as much as possible. But it still doesn't mean that this is right. See, we need the saving grace of Jesus to the work that only the saving grace of Jesus can do in our lives. And until we do, we'll always love the world more than Jesus. See, when we grasp this reality, whenever we know our need for the saving grace of Jesus, whenever he does his work that only he can do in our lives, it starts to overflow in everything that we say. There, there are steps to make if, if you've realized this need. The first is to confess. To just speak back to God that, yes, God, I have been far from you. Yes, God, I am broken. Yes, God, I need help. Yes, God, I need you to do the thing that only you can do. That's what confession is. And then repent. God, I, I have loved this world far more than you. I turn from this. God, I have spoken words that I wish that I could take back. God, I've spoken words that I'm not sure I wish I could take back yet, but I need you to do the work in me, right? Help me make it right. Help me turn from my way and turn to you. And friends, when we confess and we repent, what it does is it puts us in a posture to just open our hands and our hearts and our minds and our life and say, God, I receive what you are giving me. This grace and this forgiveness and this new heart that I've been longing for. And so when you, when you recognize your need, God meets you there, which leads us to the second thing, is that you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us the old is gone. Gone. Never to be seen again. It's gone. And the new has come. See, God gives us a new heart whenever we come to faith in Jesus, and he fills it with his Holy Spirit. And it's through the Holy Spirit's work in our heart and our life that those places where we used to give a listening ear and a speaking mouth to the world, instead, now have a direct line to that wisdom that comes from above, that life that comes from above, that life that God wants to work in and out through us. And if you find yourself at some point You've already given your life to Jesus, but man, that tongue seems out of control. If you find yourself in that spot, go back to the beginning. You have a need. Confess, repent, receive. He's there. He wants to meet you. He wants to do something in you. Head back to him. Keep becoming more and more that new creation that he has made you in Christ. Because you see, here's the thing is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given life in order that you would be a life giver, even in your speech, even in your speech. And in a world that so desperately needs some glimmer of hope, some, some idea of what true love is, of, of what it means to be alive. So you've been redeemed and you've been transformed to live out of God's wisdom and into the life that he desires to give. I want you to look at uh, James chapter 3, the last the end of the chapters, the last two verses. I want you to look at these and look at the action that comes out whenever we embrace this. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, 
pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the kind of company I like to keep, right? This is what he wants to work in and through us. The wisdom from above. That we would be pure. That we would be peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. Impartial and sincere. And when we're peacemakers and we sow in peace, we reap a harvest of righteousness. All these actions are that of Jesus We see him embodied in him. And as God does his work in us, in our hearts, in our lives, in our speech, what ends up happening is that as we become more and more in the likeness of Christ each and every day by the work of the Holy Spirit is that it begins to take root in our lives. When our words and our actions align, y'all, the message is loud and clear to a world that is hurt and broken and cynical and in deep need of the grace and transformation of God. And so James's chief concern is this. Does your faith and your speech align? Knowing how important the heart is, Solomon said this in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And so a great practice for us to take this week in guarding our heart whenever it comes to our speech is just ask this question before you say any words at all. And it's this, is what I'm about to say or what I want to say aligned with this new heart I have? I think you're going to find yourself catching yourself a couple of times this week, but guess what? We're moving closer to Jesus each and every day. Just ask yourself this simple question. And each time you ask it, Be willing to let the Lord, the Holy Spirit, be the one who steers and guides your tongue so that what flows from you will truly be from a heart that has living faith. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we know that sometimes your word is weighty, Lord. Lord, sometimes it hits us and we don't know what to do because we are so broken. God, I pray this morning that as we have encountered your word, as your Holy Spirit is among us today, God, I pray that you would help our hearts be receptive, our minds to understand the great love that you have for us, Lord, that we would not look like the world or get our wisdom from the world, that we wouldn't live in disorder and chaos, Lord, but instead that you would come and do work in us, Lord, that we would experience your peace and your grace and your goodness. And so God, I pray this morning that we would open ourselves to you, Lord, that we would repent, we would confess. And Lord, as we lay all that at your feet, Lord, I pray that we would look up and we would open our arms and we would receive the gift that you are giving us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who because of his sacrifice gives us hope, Lord. That we're not stuck in this twisted and wrong way, Lord, but instead you desire to do a work in us and through us. God, help our speech and our faith align together for your glory and our good. 
Lord, we love you and we praise you and pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response and you're welcome to pray where you're at. You're welcome to stand and sing. You're welcome to come down front and pray at the rails if you would like as well. And it doesn't have to be just about your speech. If there's something that God's laid on your heart this morning, go to God in prayer. Now's the time that we've carved out for the whole week that, that why not go now? He's inviting you. Let's go to him. Let's stand and sing together.